Good morning, everyone. Um, as you've already heard several times, David and Michelle are away. It's my privilege this morning to um, open God's word with you uh, and to uh, allow them some time away and take some load from the other members of the pastoral and leadership team. So uh, thank you for the opportunity. We're continuing the series, What Are You Filling the Slate of Your Life With? And in week one of that series, Pastor David looked at what are you filling um, your heart with? And we considered the woman who bathed Jesus in the most expensive of balms. And we looked at the filling of her heart. Her heart was filled with an extravagant love. Um, it overflowed into action. But what I want to suggest to you, and it was in the, the um, reading that day, is that she was not motivated by her feelings alone, that is not motivated by her heart alone, um, but rather her understanding. She'd grasped what many of Jesus' followers had failed to grasp, and that was that Jesus was soon to die to die a horrible and sacrificial death. So what had filled her mind, what she'd come to understand, um, led to what filled her heart, which overflowed into her action. Today, we have a look specifically at what do we fill our mind with. We often disassociate um, the heart and the mind. Um, we perhaps see the heart as the feeling, loving, caring side of ourselves and the mind as the rational, logical, unemotional, perhaps even unfeeling side. But the heart can also be the hating, bitter, spiteful us. In today's way of thinking, I believe there's been a shift to elevate the heart, what we feel, above the mind, what we think or know. But I suggest our mind dictates our hearts. Now, time for a little bit of a thought audit here. Um, let's have a think about what we think about. If we uh, do this on a graduated scale where zero is worried or fearful and ten is peaceful and at rest, think about on the scale where your thoughts are. Or on the graduated scale of zero being negative and ten being positive, where typically are your thoughts sitting? Or on a scale of those things that you've learned from the world, or on a scale of 10, those things that are eternal that you've learned from God, where typically are your thoughts sitting. Now, unless you're acing this audit with nines and tens, um, I suggest you and I. Uh, need to change our thinking. Remember, for change to take place in our lives, 
we need to change our thoughts. Our reading this morning, one of the readings was, be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. So if you want to change your life, you need to change your mind. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks, so he is. So if our mind dictates our heart, and most of life's battles are won in the mind, then that's why it matters what we fill our minds with. Great news is that unique to us as humans, unique in all creation, I believe, we have the ability to direct our minds, to direct our thoughts. But only you can. The devil can't and God won't. Each of those can provide thought bubbles. The devil's thought bubbles are called temptation and God's thought bubbles are called inspiration. But where you go with those is up to you. So let's have a little bit of a think about what really goes on in our minds. Uh, this is uh, not a psychological uh, treatise here. I have no skill in that area at all. I have some learned experience, uh, but I can't teach you what the theory is, what the current theory is. But let's have a look at what the Bible says. I think it's probably better anyway. Firstly, my thoughts control my life. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all, be careful what you think, because your thoughts control your life. Various translations will say guard your heart or guard your mind. It's almost interchangeable, it seems. depends on which of the translations you are reading. Now, our senses of sight and hearing can also lead to temptation. And Pastor Cat will be talking about those in the coming weeks. But your mind still controls your arms and your legs. You can change the channel. You can turn it off. You can remove yourself from a situation. You can disassociate yourself from a conversation. Your mind can still control your action. So you've got to control your thoughts. If you don't think it, you won't do it, good or bad. Our actions are preceded by thought. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, Jesus, not me, that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Accepting a thought, good or bad, makes it true even if it's not. Let me explain that. So in the situation that Jesus is talking about here, the, uh, 
the thought, uh, the lustful thought, the adulterous thought. Now, it's true that if that thought stays a thought and never becomes an action, well, no one will get pregnant, no one will transmit an STD. Um, but if it stays a thought and doesn't come to action, it still has an influence. It remains a thought. It becomes an increasingly prevalent thought. It becomes harder and harder to shake. It affects you, your relationships, your mental health. It denies you time and space to focus on what God would have you focus on. And this applies not just to sex, but to other things that we might imagine for ourselves. Money, possessions, power, influence, or things we might imagine of ourselves, our self-worth. There's no such thing as a harmless fantasy. So my thoughts control my life. What else is going on in my head? Well, my mind's a battlefield. I don't know, was it the 70s or the 80s? Pat Benatar's song, Love is a Battlefield. If you looked at the um, confusion of uh, falling in love and knowing if you're in love and is the other person loving me, blah, blah. There's 101 songs about it, but hers was entitled Love is a Battlefield. Now, I'm getting on, but I do still remember that confusion of youthful love, uh, the anxiety of it. I'm here to tell you that that battlefield is nothing more than a border skirmish compared to the battlefield of your mind. Um, it's on world war level. Paul talks a fair bit about it, uh, particularly in Romans 7, where he's wrestling with the old nature and the new. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I don't want to do. Who will set me free from this body of death, wretched man that I am? I mean, this is um, a man who's wrestling. Um, this is hair-tearing out, um, breast-beating sort of confusion. Mind's a battlefield. But our mind is also the place... Where, where we can find the key to peace and life and happiness. In Romans 8, uh, verse 6, it talks about our mind. The mind, is governed by, the mind that is governed by the flesh is death, but the mind that's governed by the spirit is life and peace. So an unmanaged mind leads to chaos, whereas a managed mind leads to peace. So how, how do we get to that place? How do we find the mind that is life and peace and um, not the battlefield? 
want to give you three possible platforms from which to build. Um, the first is you need to free your mind from destructive thoughts and fill it rather with right thoughts. Second is you need to feed it. And the third is you need to focus it. So if it's a battlefield, and I think we've probably all agreed it is, then we need weapons. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-6 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Note the language, weapons, strongholds, obedient captives, all fighting against the knowledge of God. But we have the weapon, we have the ultimate weapon, we have divine power. Uh, in World War II, I think it was, there was the uh, posters and the public awareness campaign that used the phrase, loose lips sink ships. The idea was stay alert, stay focused. Focus, don't fantasise. Now, there are three enemies we're going to have to fight here. At least three. I'll give them to you, these three. There's the old nature. We talked about it before, where Paul's talking about it in Romans 7. For the good I want to do, I don't do. I practice the very evil I don't want. Um, and wretched man that I am, who will set me free? So we're probably pretty familiar with that, both as scripture and in practice that we have this uh, war going on. Perhaps what we don't often see is the following verse where Paul says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh uh, the law of sin. Paul's been able to reconcile these uh, feelings with a right understanding of his two natures. So whilst there's a battle, it's not total confusion. Um, he at least knows which way is up. And whilst we can't entirely overcome our old nature, we can recognise its impact and keep fighting, not surrendering. If you don't wave the white flag, if you don't give up entirely, if you keep fighting, at least you're still in the fight. You're still alive. You haven't lost. And winning 2-1 in this fight is a win. We'll never be free of it. But we need to understand it. The second uh, enemy that we have to overcome uh, in, this, uh, in these destructive thoughts is Satan. Now, he's devious, 
He's conniving. The Bible calls him the father of lies. But he can't force you to do anything. He can plant seeds. I mean, the pattern that's laid out in uh, the early chapters of Genesis, where the first temptation and the fall occurs, he sticks to the pattern. Plants seeds of doubt and question. Paul would do anything to stop Satan getting a stronghold. In 2 Corinthians 10, he talks about it where um, there's a need for forgiveness. And he says, If I've forgiven anything, it's been for your sake in the presence of Christ to keep Satan from gaining the advantage over us. We are not ignorant of his designs. We know what he's about and I'll do anything to stop it getting a foothold in the church. So you don't have to believe everything that comes to your mind, everything you think. If it's not true, it's not true. But you've got to know what's true. So if you've got thoughts that would say, I'm worthless or I'm useless, I'll never succeed, no one could ever love me, that's not true. The Bible says you're made in God's image. You are of inestimable worth to him and with him you can overcome anything. But if you choose to believe the lie, the lie doesn't become true, but the lie becomes a reality. Um, I suffered badly uh, with um, mental health issues 25 years ago. There were a number of things at play, but one of them was that I'd become... I had come to believe a lie. For me, that lie was that I needed to be responsible for everything and every outcome within our family. So if a child was having issues, or and one was, um, things like that, I was internalising and saying, I'm responsible. I came to see in time that it was a lie. So that was my personal experience. But it can drag you down. Um, I heard a really disturbing story the other night. We were out with um, some friends. I'm talking about their grands... They've got a heap of grandkids, but uh, one or two of them particularly from one of their um, kids' families have become extremely fearful of the world's weather. Now, you can put that down to a whole range of things. I blame the press in part. Everything's extreme. Everything's a catastrophe. Now, look, wherever you are with um, your thinking about um, climate change and man's part in that, 
I'm not going there. It's, for this discussion, that's irrelevant. But if it affects you so badly, and it was affecting these kids to the point where they were out at a restaurant and there was a storm, there was a tin roof, you know, a lot of noise, then a clap of thunder overhead, um, lightning immediately preceding it, um, that a child starts to vomit with fear. So if, if, if you're allowing your thoughts around that to create a fear, forget where it comes from, it's a lie. God is still in control. Um, last week at the commencement of the service, we had a little thing playing and, and it was around fear. Um, and I think it was, uh, I think it's in Psalm 46. I will not be fearful, though the mountains crumble and fall into the sea. If all of creation is crumbling, the psalmist can say, I'm not fearful. So he's not believing the lie that God is still not ultimately in control. If it's not true, it's not true, and you don't have to believe it. The third enemy that we've got to overcome uh, if we're going to put destructive thoughts to bed is the world's value system. 1 John 2 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of this world. So let me read that again with some expansion. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that is sex, the lust of the eyes, that's money or power, the pride, sorry, money or possessions, and the pride of life, that's power or adulation, is not of the Father, but is of this world. And the preceding verse says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Folks, you can't have both. What characterises the world's value system? I think for me a simple summary is that it's placing self ahead of others, self ahead of community, and if you think about him at all, God's trailing off a distant last. We've got people concerned with body image, uh, selfies, likes, clicks, followers, Influences. How I hate that word. Influences. I'm not sure it's the word I hate so much as the concept. Um, now, the um, <coughs> pride of life has always been a lure. But mass advertising and social media have turned a bonfire into an out-of-control bushfire. Now, I don't think there's been a civilization in history that uh, has been so widely possessed by the image of self and how I'm appearing to the biggest possible audience. There have been civilizations in the past that uh, 
have had that tendency and ultimately fallen, but they haven't had the media that we have to allow, make it available to every single person. Um, and this, when we're trying to appeal to the biggest possible audience, is at a time when our whole purpose, our reason for being, is to perform to an audience of one. First Thessalonians 4.1 Finally, brethren, we beseech and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you learn from us how you ought to live and to please God. That's your audience. So if we free our mind of destructive thoughts um, and we've battled these three enemies to do it, then we need to feed our mind with the truth. Now, this is our second platform. What is truth? Well, that's an interesting question. More than one person's asked that. Pilate asked it, and people have been asking it ever since. What is truth? Well, many today say there's no truth, that um, it's an absolute, uh, and truth, after all, is subjective. Uh, my truth, your truth... Truth can be whatever you want it to be. <sighs> no wonder the place is going uh, to hell in a handbasket. God has absolutes, but the world is rejecting them. Jesus says in John 17, when he's talking to his father, they are not of the world, that's us, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The best decisions are made with the best information. If you put junk in, you'll get junk out. Same as your computer, it's the same as you. <laughs> you put junk in, you'll get junk out. So Jesus and God's word are the truth. Now... Um, not sure how I'm going for time. I don't think that clock up the back's right. I'm sure. Um, Matthew 4.4, 4, um, Jesus speaking, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When should I feed? Daily. Um, you don't just feed when you're under attack. You feed daily, you feed continually. Um, and yes, when you're under pressure, feed then too. You can have um, you know, extra vitamin feed when you're really under attack. But the idea is that you feed in advance of the attack so that you're better equipped to deal with it. And um, thirdly, the third plank on which you can build a healthy mind is to think about the right things. Well, what are the right things? First one is think about Jesus. Uh, Paul, near the end of his life, he's imprisoned, he's facing imminent martyrdom. He writes to Timothy and says, Remember Jesus. Risen from the dead, 
just as I preached in my gospel. The saying is sure, if we've died with him, we shall live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. But if we deny him, he'll also deny us. The writer of the Hebrews picks up the same thought. If we're going to finish the race that we're in, we need to look to who? To Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He endured the cross, he despised the shame, he's now seated at the right hand of God. Why? We are, again, consider him who endured for sinners such hostility. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Writers again and again are pointing at, look to Jesus, focus on him. Um, I never had one of those what would you do, Jesus do bands but if that helps use one of them um, secondly think about others uh, Rick Warren in uh, 40 Days of Purpose I think well, the famous opening line the one that smacked you right in the mouth the moment you opened the book is it's not all about you now my daughter's got a new job at a place called it's all about you but uh, <laughs> and the concourse there. Uh, well, it's not, folks. It's not all about you. Um, this is a truly countercultural way to think. It's all about God and others. What was it that Jesus said were the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. Um, and Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Don't look out just for your own interests. It's not saying don't deny them at all, don't deny your interests altogether, but to the interests of others. Christ being our example of this. And in Hebrews... 10.24, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, encouraging one another. So we're not just doing good and being faithful, but we're encouraging one another. We're thinking of others. We're thinking of each other. Lastly, think about eternity. Colossians 3.1, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. And 1 Corinthians 2, 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glorification. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes out for others and look to eternity. We have a, um, a glorious future, um, one that we need to keep in our mind's eye and live and work towards. May God bless you as we each try to... Uh, continue this ongoing struggle we'll have
until the day of his return. Thanks, Mark.